the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, my name is Pastor Dudley Rutherford, and I'm the senior pastor of Shepherd Church right here in this great city called Los Angeles. And today, on Monday night at 7 o'clock, we are tuning in to talk about Dr. Martin Luther King and his influence in our world. And one of the things that I have always been burdened about is that the church of Jesus Christ is the one entity that should be setting an example for all the other entities in the world. You know, I think about the NBA, it's diversified. I think about the educational system in America, it's diversified. I think about certain businesses and corporations, they are, they, they've placed a great importance on diversity. But for some reason that the church that Dr. Martin Luther King talked about. It's still the most segregated hour of the, of the week. I think about the fact that we will, as, as Angelians, we will all go to the Laker game, sit side by side. We go to the Dodgers game, and we sit side by side. Right now, we're on the freeways, driving side by side. We'll go to the grocery stores, side by side. But then on Sunday mornings, we all go to our church according to the color of our skin. And that shouldn't be that way. The church is made up of people, both Jew and Greek, Jew and Gentile. The Bible says that one day in heaven, there'll be people from every tribe, every tongue, and every language. And I believe as a pastor in this city that every church should make every effort to be as racially diverse as possible. I know that our church, Shepherd Church, we have three campuses, one in Woodland Hills, one in Aquadulce. The main one there is in, in Porter Ranch. If you come visit our church, you're going to find on every row, not some rows, but every row, you're going to find a Latino, you're going to find an Asian, you're going to find an African American, a Caucasian, and you're even going to find someone from the Middle East on every single row. It is a snapshot, a picture of what heaven is going to be like. And I recently preached a message on Dr. Martin Luther King and what the Bible has to say about racial diversity, about us loving each other as ourselves, as God has called us to love God and to love people. And it is a, it, it, I think it's one of the greatest sins of our church in America today is that we're still segregated. I want you to listen to today's message. This, this is, is not just a a seasonal issue for me. We, we live this out each and every weekend at our church. But I want you to listen to today's message. I want you to begin to ask God to touch your heart, to open up your heart, to see how you can make a difference in this city and in this world. We, we live in a divided country. I, I am convinced that our politicians and the media try to divide us. But Jesus and the church we should be bringing people together. And I want you to listen to this message. I want God to speak to your heart. I, I, I want you to begin to be the change that needs to happen in this city. So I want you to listen. I want you to pray that God speaks to your heart. 
and I believe that you will be blessed. Again, this is Pastor Dudley Rutherford. This is a message that I recently preached at Shepherd Church, a church that is multiracial, multigenerational, a church that is built on bold biblical preaching. You're not going to hear what you hear uh, today in most churches, but this is what we do over at Shepherd Church. We preach bold and uncompromising messages. I want you to listen to today's message, and I'll be back at the end of this program to give you some important details. God bless you as you listen to this. I'm going to share with you today a bird's eye view of our history and where we are today. I want to give you a little timeline, and you kind of need to understand this timeline, because if you don't understand the timeline, you won't really understand where we are today. The pilgrims first came to this land in the early 1600s. That's a long time ago. The colonies had been established by the 1700s. They first came with slaves from the Caribbeans and eventually slaves from the continent of Africa. And on July 4th, the year 1776 was the forming of a new nation called the United States of America. There was a signing of a document called the Declaration of Independence. Now, again, July 4th, 1776, here's what our forefathers wrote and signed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, those words do not come from the Bible. Those words come from the documents of our founding fathers, that all men would be created equal in this new land, in this new country. At the time, there were only 13 states at the time. The year? 1776. And even though that's what the Declaration of Independence said during the beginning and the birthing of the United States of America, slavery had already been established, it had already been accepted, it had already been promoted, and it had already been prevalent. Now, there was always a struggle uh, between those who had slaves and those who did not have slaves, and not everyone had slaves. Our best guess, best estimate is that 30, 31, 32% of families in this country had slaves back in 1776. At best, that's our number. Now, if it was only 1%, if only 1% of the people living in that day had slaves, it would be 1% too much. Can someone say amen? Amen. There were many others who looked the other way in regards to this sin. There was always a struggle between the economical and historical practices of slavery in this country versus the freedom that our Constitution, which guaranteed and declared that all men were created equal. So a hundred years go by with slavery. The year is now 1857. It goes before the Supreme Court of the United States in a case known as the Dred Scott decision. Is it legal or is it not legal to own a slave? After all, it's been a part of our country for a hundred years. And the Supreme Court of the United States ruled seven to two that slaves were subhuman. They ruled that slaves were property. I want to say that to you again, because I don't think you understand the significance of that statement. Country was established in 1776, 100 years go by in the year 1857, the Supreme Court of the United States rules that slaves are subhuman. 
Three years later, the year 1860, Abraham Lincoln becomes the 16th president of the United States. Although we weren't really united at the time because we were squarely divided between the North and the South. We then have what's called the Civil War that goes from 1861 to 1865. Some 625,000 people die during the Civil War. The Civil War did not begin with the intent to free slaves. The Civil War initially began, Abraham Lincoln wanted to preserve the Union, keep the states together, but it evolved into a battle to free slaves. And so in the middle, in the middle of the Civil War, the year 1863, Abraham Lincoln signs the Emancipation Proclamation, which states that all slaves held in any state are free. 1863, kind of like an executive order. And many of the slaves went to the North and they say as many as 10% of the North were former slaves fighting for the freedom for the rest of the slaves. At the end of the Civil War, the year is now 1865. Eight years after the Dred Scott decision that said slaves are subhuman. The year 1865, we adopt the 13th Amendment, which officially abolishes slavery in the United States of America. So we have 100 years of slavery. A law is passed in 1865. Yet, for the next hundred years, from 1860 to the 1960s, blacks were discriminated against, marginalized. They couldn't vote. They couldn't go to public libraries. They couldn't go to public swimming pools. They couldn't go to hotels or restaurants. They had to go to their own schools. They were not welcome in most white churches. They had to sit in the back of the bus. So we have a hundred years of slavery then we pass a law that says no more slavery but then we have another hundred years of inequality and subhuman behavior towards people because of the color of their skin which proves you can pass a law but a law cannot change a man's heart we come to the 1950s and 1960s now stay with me after 200 years of this type of treatment the civil rights movement begins The main leader, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Baptist minister, son of a Baptist minister. I want to make this very clear. He had his own flaws. People like to say, well, he was an immoral man. We're all immoral people. He had had his flaws. But he began to lead in boycotts and sit-ins and peaceful demonstrations. He gave speeches and sermons in New York, Chicago, New Orleans, Selma, Alabama, Montgomery, Alabama. He preached at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia. He spoke in Greensboro, North Carolina, and of course, Washington, D.C. He was extremely charismatic. He was an orator. He was gifted. He was determined. And he was an imperfect vessel, but he was an imperfect vessel that was used by God. August 28, 1963, the largest march of its time up to that point, 250,000 people gathered in the mall in Washington, D.C. at the Lincoln Monument where he delivers his famous I Have a Dream speech. Five years later, on April 4th, 1968, In a hotel balcony in Memphis, Tennessee, he was assassinated by one James Earl Ray. And one of the things that I want you to know, you have to understand this. This was not that long ago. This was not something that happened a long, long time ago. No, you have to understand that anyone in this room right here that are in their 60s, 65 or older, they lived through the civil rights movement. 
If you're in your 30s or your 40s or your 50s, your parents lived through the civil rights movement. It is still fresh in their minds and in their heart. I have a guy here today, his name's Joe London. He's in charge of my security. How many of you know I have to have security? Yeah, because of you all. But anyway, <laughs> Joe, I want you to stand real quick. This is Joe London. Give Joe a hand. <laughs> Joe, how old are you? 62. 62. You're older than me. You know that, right? <laughs> Don't ever forget that, Joe. Joe, remain standing. I want to show you a picture of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. This was in the great city of Chicago during a march a protest march, and there were people that were throwing rocks and bottles and uh, eggs, and a rock actually hit Dr. Martin Luther King. And the man to his left, which is to your right, who's uh, in charge of security and watching over Dr. Martin Luther King, is Joe's uncle. That's his uncle. Thank you, Joe. I I just want you to know it's not that long ago. Now, in the last 50 years, since the speech and the subsequent assassination, there has been tremendous progress in this country. I applaud the progress. 1967, Thurlgood Marshall was named the Supreme Court Justice. People would have never imagined that was possible, that an African-American could be on the Supreme Court, that justice seat. Since 1970, 100 African-Americans have been elected into the House of Representatives. Clarence Thomas currently serves as the Supreme Court Justice. Colin Powell served as Secretary of State from 2001 to 2005. Condoleezza Rice served as Secretary of State starting in 2005. Eric Holder was the Attorney General in 2009. Barack Obama served two terms, two four-year terms as President of the United States of America. African Americans have excelled in every area of life. Every area of life wasn't given a chance. In the medical profession, the music industry, and sports, and athletics, and the business world, and the entertainment industry, and the educational In every realm where they've been given a chance, they have excelled. But however, with all the progress that we have seen, there is still a long, long ways to go. I see three major problems that exist. One is systemic racism. After 250 years of oppression, the racism and the prejudice that has existed in this country, it is in the DNA. It's in the DNA of our country. Racism does not immediately disappear. There are lingering systems or degrees of racism that still exist in almost every arena of life in America today. The second problem is the failure of our nation as a nation to repent of the sins of our past. And I hear that, I hear that all the time. But I got to tell you, I don't know how we're ever going to get our nation to ever repent from our past. All I can do with with repentance is to deal with my own heart and it begins with us those of us that are here repentance is a word that means you have a change of heart a change of mind a change of direction repentance has to do with acknowledging that the way i have lived in the past is wrong it has been sinful and the word repent means i'm going to go a different direction and i'm going to now start to live for god and i do know this that the united states of america as a whole is made up of individuals that all of us in this room must repent for the sins of our past and move towards the way god would have us to live and number three number three probably the greatest problem is that there are still individuals today who practice racism and prejudice now the definition of racism in case you do not know is prejudices, discrimination, or antagonism 
directed towards someone of a different race based on the belief that one's own race is superior. It's not just whites against blacks. It could be blacks against whites. It could be Gentiles against Jews. It could be Jews against Gentiles. It could be Latinos against Asians or Asians against Latinos. It involves any nation, any tribe, any people group, or any individual who believes that your race is superior to another race. And all you have to do is look at some well-known figure who has a lot of followers on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter and look at the comments underneath their post and you will see some of the most racist, vile, grotesque comments based strictly on the color of one's skin. It is disgusting. But it still exists in this country. And if you don't think racism still exists in this country, the United States of America, you're like an ostrich with your head buried in the sand. Almost every single African-American in this church could stand and give testimony to some prejudice that has been shown towards them simply because of the color of their skin. Every Jewish person in this room could rise and give to the same testimony. Every Latino in this country could stand and rise and give testimony to that. I was in a car once, a a taxi cab out of Dallas, Texas, African-American man, and we were driving down the street and we were having a good time because how many of you know I like to have a good time? And uh, we were laughing and we were talking about some stuff. And I'll never forget, uh, we, were, we had such a friendship that just struck up immediately. And a car came along down the road. Our windows were rolled down. And he looked over and he called the man the N-word. And I could just feel the knife that went into that man's heart. Simply for one reason and one reason alone. It's the color of his skin. Racism still exists in this country. Now, I personally grew up in a Christian home. I had Christian parents. I grew up in the state of Kansas, me and Toto. (laughs) I spent most of my life, you need to understand this, I spent most of my life living a very sheltered life. To this day, I've never heard my parents curse. I've never seen them drink any alcohol. I've never seen them smoke anything. I I don't really remember ever hearing them fight, really. a couple arguments. I grew up in church. My parents taught me by their example and their words how to love people, how to serve people, how to serve all people. And when I was in the ninth grade, I was 15 years old, I decided to become a minister and I went to high school in the 1970s. Now the civil rights movement was in the 50s and the 60s. So now I'm in high school in the 1970s. And they had this thing, I I didn't even even know what was going on. It was called forced integration. I didn't even know what that meant. I was just going out, I lived out in the suburbs going to my little white school, right? And and the forced integration is they brought all the African-Americans from the inner city of Wichita, Kansas, from the ghetto. About 12 buses of African-Americans would pull up on the curb outside our little white school. It was a big school. We had 3,000 students. And these buses, all these African-American kids walked off these buses and started going to our school. And we schooled. We had a hallway that went around in a big square. You could walk all day in the same direction. And, And this happened not some days. It happened every day. The blacks would get off the bus, they'd get together and start walking around, the whites would be walking around, we would meet, we would fight. I went to school every day with one goal, to not be, when they met, to not be there. We had whites that were killed by blacks in my high school. They were forcing integration upon us. And neither side really wanted it. Kind of figured that out on my own. When I was in high school, after one of my basketball games, I was leaving the gym and I had my gym bag and I was walking out to my car by myself. And a group of black teenagers, about 10, 11, 12 black dudes, came at me and beat me half to death. 
They threw me on the ground at that parking lot. I remember grabbing my head, trying to protect myself. And they hit me and kicked me what seemed like hours to me. They eventually left, and I got up. I had welts and bruises from, from all over my entire body. And they beat me up for one reason, because I was a white guy. And I was the guy they were picking on. I was in an art class, and we had an art supply room off the art room had one door and I had gone in the art supply room to get some supplies and I heard the door shut and I turned around and there was a black guy a friend of mine named Reggie Reed Reggie pulls out a knife and he starts coming towards me I was like Reggie what are you doing he's walking towards me with this knife and he said these words he said Dudley you know the blacks take out contracts on white guys in this school no I didn't know that Yes, and he said, they took out a contract on you. And he goes, I took the contract. And I'm going, Reggie, what are you doing? And he goes, just kidding. (laughs) He gave me a hug. I just want you to know I've actually hugged people in the art supplies room, another guy. I just want you to know that. (laughs) I have experienced the aftermath and the overflow of the racial hatred that was in this country in the 50s and 60s. And it tried, it tried to suck me into its vortex. But God in heaven protected my heart. He protected my heart. I could have remained bitter. I could have let hatred and prejudice take root in my soul. I could have labeled all blacks the same. I could have taken a path of revenge. Halfway through my sophomore year, I invited my classmate, my teammate. I had a I had a basketball friend. We were both six foot five. I was white and he was black, black, if you know what I'm talking about. His name was Kelly Burton. And he's watching this sermon right now from Wichita, Kansas. He still lives there. I told him to log on and watch today. Kelly and I became covenant brothers. We actually had our own little thing we don't want to tell you about. But we had a covenant. And I invited Kelly to my church. And at the time, I didn't think anything about it. You know, I grew up in my dad's church. There were about 800 people, all white. I, 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 I didn't know any difference. I'm 16 years old. I'm the preacher's kid. I brought my six-foot-five twin into that service. I, I had no idea that Kelly would have been treated the way he was. I saw the looks. I saw the stares. I felt the, what in the world is this black guy doing in this white church? What in the world is the preacher's kid doing now? And when I was 16 years of age and I experienced that, I knew I was going to become a pastor. I made a decision at that point that when I had my own church, it would be a multiracial, multiethnic church. Oh, I hope you were listening today. This message, I could talk on this topic for a long, long time. I was just a young, a young man. When I was in high school, God began to burden my heart for this topic for racial unity. I remember just as a child going to a church. It was a good church. It was a strong church. Bible believing church but it was all one color it was all just one race and i remember god he he burdened my heart you know that one day you'll be a pastor and uh, then god burdened my heart make sure that it is a racially diverse church and i just want to thank you this this is pastor dudley rutherford at shepherd church i want to thank you for listening to our radio program today lift up jesus that is why we exist as a church and i would love to have you come visit us some weekend you will find that, that the message that you just heard, you will see that lived out in our church. I've often said in our pulpit, I, I wish that the rest of the country could see and experience what we experience each and every weekend at our church. 
All you need to do is to go to the website, liftupjesus.com. That's liftupjesus.com. And you can find all about our church. We're right here in Los Angeles. You can get in your car. You can be there in 30 minutes, any freeway in this city on a Sunday morning. We, we also have services on Saturday nights at, at 6 o'clock. You can come visit us then as well. You can come and you can experience what heaven is going to be like. Where the Bible says that people will gather from every tribe, every, every tongue, and every language. And what are we going to do for all of eternity? We're going to be with people of different nationalities, but we will be doing one thing in common. We'll all be praising the name of the Lord Jesus. I want to thank you for tuning in today to KKLA at the Lift Up Jesus radio broadcast. We're here every night at 7 o'clock p.m. I want to encourage you that if you'd like to come along and support this ministry, we would love to have you do that as well. You can just go to liftupjesus.com and sign up for that. We have all kinds of information at that website. But I want to encourage you as we wrap up this, this, this time here together to look at people, even right now on the freeways, where you work, in the restaurants, in the malls. I want you to begin to look at people the way God sees them. And that person that maybe you get turned off by, that is the very same person that God gave up, His one and only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that that person might be saved. And if you and I would be faithful at lifting up His name, I am convinced that He would draw people from all corners of the world. So join me here each and every night at 7 o'clock p.m. at KKLA. This is Dudley Rutherford at the Lift Up Jesus radio program. And remember that wherever you are or wherever you're going, make sure you always lift up the name of Jesus. Jesus.